This podcast is published as part of MDA National's suite of digital media resources on things doctors wish they had known about specific medical specialty areas. Doctors for Doctors since 1925, MDA National is a member-owned mutual that exists to support and protect its members and promote good medical practice across Australia. Hi, it's Norman Swan here. Welcome to another podcast where doctors in training share their experiences, tell us what drives them, why they enjoy what they do, and what advice they might offer to junior doctors contemplating their career choices and preparing for their training schemes. You'll hear how they are often very conscious of the ethical and legal complexities of being a practising doctor and how they deal with them. Here's Thomas Boozy, a general practice registrar at Mount Dandenong. I knew I wanted to be a GP for a very long time. Until moving to Victoria, my family's been attending the same general practice when they're up to fourth generation. My concept of general practice was ingrained in that traditional model of not just going to the doctor when you're sick, but when you're also well for checkups in emergencies or even on occasion receiving a home visit. So it sounds to me as if you might have had a very romantic idea of general practice. Were there any rude shocks when you started and got the reality? Oh, absolutely. It was quite an idealistic view that I had. In fact, I'd preempted being a doctor as being a general practitioner. So probably the most rude shock was entering the hospital system, something that I had very little experience or exposure to growing up. So that's the hospital system. But what about entering general practice? Was it as you imagined? Well, I'd had that experience in the hospital where I then had to transition back into what I'd always imagined being a doctor was like. Preparing for our conversation, I even dug up the most expensive textbook that I owned, a little picture book that carried around when I was a child in the shape of a doctor's bag. (laughs) It has a very simple message, and it's doctors study all about our bodies and how to keep us in good health. That was my concept of what it was to be a doctor. So, in other words, you you haven't been disillusioned. I mean, I'm, I'm pushing too hard here, perhaps, but, you know, You haven't been disillusioned by your experience, is what you're telling me. Well, a disillusionment to the point of being deterred from proceeding into something that I'd long sought to take on has not occurred. Certainly, a greater appreciation for the complexity of our healthcare system and and the role of a GP in that has been established now. So what was the biggest eye-opener you got when you actually jumped into GP training? Look, I must confess I had hoped that on leaving the hospital system that I'd feel like patients really valued the healthcare that I was providing, going from a public hospital free healthcare for patients to a a billing Medicare and, and billing patients sometimes privately arrangement. I perhaps naively presumed that patients would value the care that I provided. What were you expecting of patients, really, that you didn't get? I suppose it may in part stem from the fee-for-service model that is entirely new to a doctor emerging from the hospital system. That's been quite a challenge to balance building that doctor-patient rapport with indicating to the patient that this is a professional service that we're offering, and in order to do that in a certain way with a high level of quality, Yes, some patients have come to learn that there is an assumption that this is a government-provided service. Tell me things you wish you'd known before you started. I think I probably wish I knew what it meant to be a parent. I think I've, I've taken for granted a parent's love and subsequent protectiveness of their children. This has played out in consultations, sometimes even growing children. And that poses quite a challenge at times, certainly where, especially mothers and, and their daughters 
might be seeking confidential information. And this has really stretched my medico-legal boundaries and been put through the ringer. Is that something you've phoned up for advice about? Look, I've certainly phoned up for some dilemmas or ethical queries, as well as general advice. Do you want to give me some examples? I think probably one of the most classic examples that I've encountered is calling up and asking about what to do for chaperoning and intimate examination where a practice nurse is not available. Calling your medical defence organisation takes a certain degree of confidence to do that the first time. And then once the phone line is, is in your mobile phone on speed dial, it tends to be something you go to earlier rather than delaying. Probably also it's worth breaking that ice with a doctor's own health helpline. And what about thriving and training and the actual training process itself? Any tips? Look, training as a GP does start before getting into placements. It does start in the hospital and, and even prior to that as a medical student. Possibly the best advice I was given, and I know this has been available through the GPRA who support registrars and doctors and students wanting to become GPs, is to really experience each rotation, to view it through the lens of general practice and in choosing rotations, pick on specialties that handle the bread and butter of GP referrals. And what about work-life balance? How do you manage that? Work-life balance is that elusive goal in the hospital setting. It seems almost like an impossibility. I think that I'm finding now that it's a very real possibility. So in order to achieve that elusive work-life balance, I think I'd probably regret cancelling the gym membership. I'm quite pleased with myself in shouting myself a new pair of running shoes, which I'm putting to good use. I'd say you must have your own GP and probably some advice about leaving the work at work. Remember the patient is the one with the disease. And my last piece of advice is there was certainly criticism from an ED physician about a bunch of us who were entering general practice. We'd applied in our internship year. His view, it seemed too early, and I challenged him on that, but what he said made quite good sense, and that was that if you've only spent two years in the hospital system, you might not yet have had that decision-making experience. So I'd urge doctors, anyone who's even considering going into general practice, into that more independent and less hierarchical community setting, to go out there and use their textbook and experiential knowledge and translate that into a tailored management plan for the patients where they've made some decisions. I had my own test of making decisions, dabbling as a senior surgical resident and sometimes playing surgical registrar for a few extra months before starting my first GP term. Probably a take-home message to those considering general practice. Remember that hospital specialties and hospital specialists need to know a lot about a little. The general practitioner needs to know enough about a lot whereas the specialists can't generalise. Thomas Boozy is a general practice registrar at Mount Dandenong in Victoria. I'm Norman Swan, and thanks for listening to this podcast. And there are plenty more of these podcasts for you if you just go back to the website. Here to support you, visit MDA National's website at mdanational.com.au or call 1-800-011-255 for tailored advice specific to your medico-legal situation, career stage or policy. This podcast has been produced by MDA National to support our doctor members. The information provided is based on the personal experiences of the doctor speaker and does not constitute medico-legal advice from or by MDA National.